Welcome and bienvenidos a todos to our football uh, podcast for Mexican women's soccer. I am Eugene Rapinski. I'll be your host this evening. And with me, as always, is Adriana Terrazas. Adriana, how are you today? I'm doing great, Eugene. How are you? Uh, doing all right. It's been a, been a little bit of a stressful, hectic day, but, uh, you know, into every life, a little rain must fall, I suppose. You know, so uh, just keeping at it. And uh, yeah, I mean, what a, uh, what a wild, wild week in the Ligia. Just uh, some some good series, some really kind of crazy series. I uh, can't wait to dive into it with you. Um, the first one was the series between Pachuca and Chivas. And oh boy, that first game that ended three to three, that was a barn burner. And then they came back for the second leg in Guadalajara, uh, where Pachuca wound up winning three to one to go through six to four on the aggregate. Yeah, well, what did what what did you think about uh, about that? I mean, first of all, when when that first game came up, it seemed as though everything we were expecting, right? It was the series that was just closest, like both teams coming in pretty pretty equal in in, in talent and performance and in rhythm. It just seemed as though it was everything we were going to expect from from this game. Definitely, probably not like the result wise. It was what we expected. Probably the how was something that I think I've got caught everyone off guard because first minute like I mean first five minutes but Chivas was winning 2-0 and that's something unlike we would have thought about Pachuca but being Pachuca as they are they came back and got uh, a couple of goals one of them by Jenny Hermoso and then it was just a killer ending with Jaramillo and Hermoso again and we got a 3-3 tie not I don't want to say out of nowhere but it was definitely such a wild ride of a game Gave us everything we expected. We probably expected Charlene to have a, a, at least a couple of goals and not Jenny um, or just one and one uh, just because we, we knew how Charlene had ended up the season as top goal scorer. It was just crazy. I mean, it was like a, a like a coin toss. It was, if this is what happens in the first leg, no way we could have guessed what was going to happen in the second leg. It was just, it was just in the air for either team. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, you know, I remember at the end of the game just thinking, because that was the fir- that was the first one of the entire Ligia and just going, oh man, how does anybody <laughs> top that? You know, and it was just such a back and forth game. It was two teams who were really kind of at the top of their craft going at one another. I thought it was going to end up two to two. And yeah, like you said, we got those two really, really late goals in stoppage time, one from Hermoso uh, and that back heel flick. Oh my goodness. Uh, if you guys haven't seen that, go check it out on YouTube or on the socials. Uh, it is a wild uh, thing where she hits it back heel between Caro Jaramillo's legs and then past Blanca Felix. It's just a wild, wild goal. Uh, and then Jaramillo came back and uh, got the equalizer for Chivas. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it was just it was just a nuts, nuts game. Um Loved every yeah, second. Yeah, the second of it. one was was just. I mean, I think the second one you could say was surprising, but also kind of problematic for Chivas. Mm, very um, definitely not the way you wanted to start off a game. Terrible mistake by Rodriguez who tried to pass the ball back to Bianca. To Blanca, she didn't get it, um, and the ball just slowly rolled in. So um, definitely not the way to start off a second leg of a quarterfinal match. Uh, nevertheless, um, Chivas did try to get um, at least an- another goal. They did by Montoya. But then Pachuca, just knowing they were so close to making it semifinals, got a couple of goals. Uh, Hermoso again, so she got three goals against Chivas and and Billy Salazar. So, uh, really crazy. I mean, 
sad to say because um, as a Chivas fan, I definitely thought they could make it through. On the other hand, I mean, Pachuca just had such an amazing season. It might not show if you only look at the standings, but just looking at everything they've gone through throughout the season, the, the amazing amazing strikers they have with Charlene and Jenny. Um, yeah, they do have some issues maybe in defense, but still, I mean, such a great squad. So definitely keep an, an eye out for Pachuca, who um, sadly eliminated Chivas from the quarterfinals. Yeah, sorry to all of my Chiva hermanos and hermanas out there. I thought they were in it. And, you know, when, when Felix really, you know, she had, that was a really bad error on her part. But uh, Montoya came back and scored. And I thought, okay, well, that's okay. Like, you know, Felix, you know, she's kind of off the hook now. We're back even and, you know, anything can happen. And then Hermoso got that goal uh, and then pulled out the Luchador mask, which I just thought was uh, super cool. Oh, and- I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I had, I had flashbacks to I think it was Jackson Martinez doing that way back in the day, uh, pulling pulling a mask out of his sock and putting it on and dancing around. Um, <laughs> and then uh, something that really made me feel good was the Salazar goal, because that was uh, set up by Monica Ocampo. And those are two players who have been there from the start. Uh, Salazar was there not in the Copa, but she was there during their first season. Ocampo has been there from the start. And they've seen some good teams and they've seen some not so good teams there in Pachuca. And to have those two kind of link up, even with Charlene and Jenny Hermoso and Alice Soto and, uh, you know, all of these kind of newer players who've come in and really revitalized the squad and uh, who, who are getting a lot of the attention to have those two who have been there from the beginning really put the nail in the coffin, I thought was cool uh, and good to see, you know, so. They are going to be a tough, tough out in the next round. I'm with you. I worry a little bit about their defense, but you know, if you can, if you can outscore uh, Chivas, uh, you know, six to six to four, you know, you're you're okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was definitely tough ever since we knew who we were going to face in in Liguilla because I mean, it's not that any other of the other teams would have been easier, but it was definitely the closest one performance wise. So. Yeah, yeah, tough call. Yeah, we'll like I be s- back next season. So, <laughs> yeah, and like I said on the last episode, you know, this is really a matchup we could have seen a lot deeper in the playoffs. So I, I was kind of upset that we were not forced yeah. to, but that it was a first round matchup. That to me sounds like a final, you know, or a, a mm-hmm. you know a semifinal. Uh, the first round just seems way too early to see two teams of that quality go up against one another. So. But, you know, it is what it is, and Pachuca moves on. Chivas, you know, I think they, they got a lot to look forward to. You know, I, I know a lot of the, the fans were, were kind of upset with how that played out, but I don't I don't see any real need to uh, to kind of blow the project up and do anything kind of crazy, right? Like, Yeah, I think it's just more continuity and maybe just a couple of positions, maybe look into players from the from the youth squads, but definitely not something that deserves um, radical changes. For them. Yeah, no, and... You know, if if your main concern is goalkeeper, just remember Celeste Espino should be back at some point. Um, you know, she was out this uh, this season injured, and that's not to say that you know I think she would have been better than Felix. But I think when you have two goalkeepers that are that good, uh, as good as the both of them are, they really mm-hmm. push one another to to be yeah. even better. So maybe that would help Felix and and uh, Celeste as well. So. We'll see. Uh, hang in there, uh, Chiva Hermanos y Hermanas. Uh, <laughs> things are things are still good, especially on the men's side. So 
the uh, the second series was, I think, one that we were we were kind of looking forward to in, in some way. Uh, that was Atlas and Tigres, uh, just to see kind of how far Atlas had come. Not nearly far enough. They lost the first game five to nothing. They went back. They put up a decent showing at El Volcan, but they still wound up losing two to nothing, going out uh, seven to nothing on the aggregate. What did you make of that one? Uh, it was just, I mean, the way that Tigres, I mean, we all thought Tigres might, I don't know if, if lose against Atlas was, was a really realistic way of looking at it, but definitely maybe stumble a little bit more than they actually did mm-hmm. because of everything we've seen through the, throughout the season. Definitely not the strongest Tigres we've seen, but despite that, it, it doesn't mean they're, they're weak at, like by any sense. It just means that they're not as strong as we've seen them, but they're definitely stronger than most teams. So I, I thought it was, it was a really strong hit against Atlas just having to come back from a 2-0 like 20 minutes in. So, um, and understanding that they were also a home team in the first leg. So definitely um, difficult to come back from a 5-0. I think Tigres just understood how much their advantage was for the second leg. They couldn't risk any players. They shouldn't have. It was just trying to keep everything as it was and making sure they got they were fit whenever they came into semifinals. So definitely I would have loved Atlas to have a better performance, maybe get a couple of goals, put Tigres in a tight spot maybe for a few minutes. But definitely, probably not not the best way to start off the the Liguilla with with a couple of goals again, 15, 20 minutes in. I thought Atlas played a decent second game, going to mm-hmm. Volcan, losing two to nothing. You know, if that was the first game, that would be yeah, yeah be that's like, pretty well. They're in a good position, good. right? Yeah, but yeah, on on the heels of a five nothing loss, uh, that's yeah, yeah, I you just, have to be stronger as a home team. You do. I mean, it, it's, a, it's definitely really difficult against Tigres, but still, I mean, like you're mentioning. If you can get a 2-0 loss at the Universitario, you definitely should be able to do just as much for a home team, for a home game. Yeah, for sure. I think Atlas really needs to kind of look at where they are as a club. You know, of course, they were missing Anagabi Paz. She's out on maternity. They announced right before the first game that Garo Venegas was going to be out. She had a uh, sprain of her medial collateral ligament. And would miss, uh, you know, a few weeks, I think six to eight weeks, which kind of ruled her out of the of the Ligia. And that's tough, right? It's tough to lose key players like that. But still, you know, like they really kind of have to look at where they are and, and figure out what do they need to do in order to kind of get past that hump. We've seen them come into the Ligia for a few so straight seasons stuck. now. Yep. Yeah. You know, what are they going to do to make that next step? Do they think they're just like one or two players away, adding you know a couple, you know a couple of yeah, good acquisitions, death, yeah. you know, or do they feel like they've taken this group as far as they can go, and it's time to really, really get in there and retool everything? Like I don't, I don't know, I don't have the answers for that, but I think this is really going to be an off season at the crossroads for them that they really need to kind of figure out where they are and what they need to do to get to get past that hump. I mean, like I said, they've been to the, they've been to the Ligia now, I think three or four straight times and only made it past the first round once when they faced Santos. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, they got, they got to, they got to do something to really up their game so that they can compete better uh, against teams like Tigres, uh, you know, when they get drawn against them. Um, yeah. I mean, also like first Ligia experience for Fabiola Vargas, right? She came in uh, with more experience from, from Sholas. Different squad, I think, different expectations. But yeah, definitely something she has to look into. It, it was her first full year with, with Atlas. Usually the, the break during the summer allows for, for more planning, for more changes. 
So hopefully she'll look into that, understand what she has to work with, what she needs. And hopefully the club will also make um, every effort to to get it for her because yeah, I, I think she needs a bit more depth um, in some of the positions, make sure that she has a squad that's available despite suffering some injuries. We do have national team activity next semester with, mm. with gold cup qualifiers. So understanding that you might lose some players. Um, hopefully some players also make it with, with other national teams, but yeah, I, th- I think it's, you just need to make sure that every, aspect of the team is is covered with a couple of players so you can just have room to maneuver in case you need yeah for sure tigres on the other hand like you said i think they they did what they had to do getting that five nothing win on the road in in the first game was was huge they were able to rest players i think carmelino moscato really managed that second game well uh you know she rested the players she could uh, and then brought some players off of the bench for the second half just to get them some reps get them some minutes touches on the ball so they don't go into the next series completely mm-hmm. cold. They 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 kind of looked like the Tigres of old in that series, at least to me, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it was I think, it was it was back with with the old and that's a good thing for Tigres. Yeah, I, I think Atlas may have helped them out a little bit um, you know, in in that, but uh yeah, Tigres they should go into the next series uh kind of flying high. You know, we'll kind of get to to the the next round here in a bit, but I want to move on to the the third series which was Juarez and America. Las Bravilacticas, we were so excited to see them get into the into the playoffs and then they lost at home 3 to 1 against America uh, and then America really dropped the hammer on them uh in the second leg, beating them 5 to 1. Juarez goes out eight to two on the aggregate. Uh, yeah, you know, I got some thoughts on this one, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to hear what you have to say. Um, I, I'm really eager to see, hear your thoughts first. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can, you, you, you have something important to say. <laughs> I, I can, I can go first if you want. So yeah, you know, there's been a lot of talk. If we we're we're I don't know about guilty, but you know, we've done this too. About we're all rooting for Juarez. We're all pulling mm-hmm. for them. And you know what? Sometimes in sports, you need a bad guy. Sometimes <laughs> you need a team to go, yeah, that sounds like a really good story. We don't care. And that's that's what America <laughs> did. They came in. They didn't care about the narrative. They didn't care about Juarez. They beat yeah. them eight to two. They sent them home. And you know what? Like, <laughs> I respect that because... Hey, every I think we need I think we need some some uh, some uh, some heels, some 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 bad guys and, and girls in 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 sports. You know what I mean? Yeah. And disregarding. Hey, we don't care if you're the Cinderella of, of this yeah. BMX tournament. Here you go. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're happy to, to make the clock strike midnight and send you home in a pumpkin like we don't care. So good. Good for them. You know, I am still happy for Juarez. I do think that. This was a huge learning experience for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they did kind of go into the into the playoffs. I think a little banged up. I think kind of dropped a few games there at the end. Yeah. Kind of a limped few into players the playoffs. As well. Yeah, yeah. But you know, like the experience that they got was good. I think people really kind of pulled behind them. The atmosphere in Juarez was amazing, especially after the goal was scored. Um, you know, if you weren't watching the game, you know, go check out the replays and just Put your sound on for it because it was loud. It was like crazy loud. It was good to hear that in you know in Juarez, uh, you know, for their first Liguilla game. You know, I'm happy for that. I'm happy to see that project working out. 
I know at the press conference, Mila Martinez said that, you know, she wanted to go back to Spain. She misses being home and she was going to think about her future. I really hope she decides to come back. I think it would be a real shame to see that project just kind of end there. I think there's more chapters to be written in that book. But yeah, like they should go out with their heads uh, held high, I think. Yeah, I, I was trying to look at how many people actually attended the game because I remember it was also it was also a record for the club, I believe. So it was, it was just a great way to, I don't know, reward the team after such an amazing performance throughout the season. Yeah, they 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 were stumbling at the end. It was it was there was a moment we actually thought they might not make it to Liguilla, but mm-hmm. it was just a, such a great story because of everything it showed the other teams, especially the ones that didn't qualify, how much how far you can go with a really solid project disregarding the fact that you're not bringing in players from abroad, you're not bringing in expensive players. It was just going through with, with a project, with the system, and just supporting that system. So I was, I was really happy because it showed other teams that it is possible if you get the right support from your club. And yeah, I mean, like you were mentioning, America did what America is known to do. They, mm-hmm. they did everything. It was... I mean, yeah, it was it's the America identity that we all love to hate. <laughs> so definitely <laughs> great great for America. Um, yeah, 11,628 people in Juarez. Thank you, Eugene. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, this is, uh, yeah, sad to say, but yeah, this is America in its truest form. It's just making sure they get the job done. They don't care if it's Juarez. They don't care if it's Chivas, Tigres. They want to get another another championship. So yeah, they definitely went through with that. Had no, no mercy on Juarez. Got a 5-1 victory at the Azteca as well. Alison uh, celebrating her 100th goal in, in Liga Mix Familia as well. Yep. And yeah, I mean, it's a great lesson for, for Juarez. I'm hoping they'll come just as strong and even stronger next season. And America off to off to semifinals. Yeah, and then the final series, uh, I think we I think I say this one for last on purpose. <laughs> was uh Monterrey against Tijuana. Tijuana won the first leg in Tijuana two to nothing. And uh, was winning the second leg as well. And was winning the second leg one to nothing. And then something happened. And they, wound, was, up, they wound up losing yeah, the series crazy. six to three. <laughs> Do go on. So, yeah, that was, <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think we all thought it was possible for Cholos to get a victory in, in that first leg. And they definitely did. I wasn't quite sure Monterrey wouldn't be able to score. I thought they, yeah, they could lose just because we know how, how strong Cholos can be as a home team. But I definitely didn't think Cholos would be able to just like neutralize the entire Rayadas offense for that first game. Definitely came back for the second game and, and came back with a vengeance. <laughs> but I mean, it was just, we were looking at those games and I think everybody was wondering, this could be possible. They they could really um, eliminate Rayadas. It was a, a, a fair advantage. I mean, it was just enough to actually think it was possible if they had a really great game at the BBVA and it started off as as if they did they were they were winning uh, on the aggregate 3-0 and we thought oh no Rayadas might get a goal they might get two but this it really seemed as though it wasn't going to be possible and then one player sent off and six goals later here we are <laughs> yeah i don't think i would have been surprised at a 2 nothing win in the first leg i was surprised by how they did it monterey never looks that kind of weak weak impotent they yeah. they couldn't score they couldn't i mean uh ale gutierrez really wasn't tested until the second half i mean she she wound up making a couple of good saves a couple of really good saves but that's not Rayadas. they're usually the ones going after the jugular from the first minute yeah. and they didn't and they kind of didn't in the second game either uh i thought 
after that first game, I'm like, man, Tijuana can really do this. Like I said, because of how they went about getting Mm -hmm. that first win. And then the second game, I've watched that replay today. I don't even know how many times. I just watched it again a few minutes ago. (laughs) I, I see a foul. I don't see a yellow and I for real don't see a red. Yeah, I think that's what everybody was was mentioning. I mean, I, I saw Alvarado also post something on social media just mentioning how important it is to actually just, I know it's something we've, we've talked about forever, right? It's just making sure we have better referees in the feminine because mm-hmm. it just comes down to these mistakes that really, really can change a game. And I think I think it really did. It, oh, yeah. it ended up hurting Cholos enormously, not only because they were down one player, but just because of everything that how it changes your mentality on the pitch. You, you Yeah, you did have an advantage um, after that. But it's it just it shakes you up so badly. It's it's difficult to come back from that. And Valladas took advantage of it as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm I'm with her. I think she handled it uh, better than a lot of players maybe would have. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But her point stands. You know, you can have VAR technology, but if the referees aren't trained on how to use it and they don't use it often, yep. then you can't really get mad at them when they make an inevitable mistake. Yeah, Like it's not really the referee's fault if they're given a new tool and they don't know how to use it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it is a tough, tough way for, for them to go out. I hope, I really hope Tijuana does not let that define this project. They oh, really not, have, hopefully. they really have put something together there that seems to be working, that worked against the, the mighty Radas for 135 minutes. When they mm-hmm. when they were at even strength, I don't see any reason to to go nuts and start blowing things up. I mean, of course, you're going to have players, you know, coming and going, but I I would caution them against going. Well, that didn't work. It's time to you know fire the coaching staff and bring in all new players. Like, don't don't do that. Like, you guys were were so close to getting into the second round and doing it in kind of a convincing fashion against one of the gold standard teams in the league. Uh, yeah. you know, so yeah, that's, that's a tough, tough way to go out for them. Uh, Riatus, on the other hand, they kind of did what they had to do. You know, they played the cards that they were dealt and they, they mm-hmm. did well. Um, and this could be a real moment that kind of galvanizes them. Right. Uh, yeah. They 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 were outplayed, like I said, for 135 minutes. They know that, uh, and they you know they can kind of look back at that and go, okay, well we survived that. We can survive anything. You know, if they go down in the next round by a goal or two goals, and, and going back uh, to Monterrey, they will have the confidence to go, we got this. You know, we we yeah. just we just did this against a team that kind of played us out of the park for the first game. We're gonna be all right, and I think that that's gonna serve them well. Yeah, I think the only other thing I, I I'm thinking is it's good to uh, it's good that they're finding a space for like I guess all of their forwards. Um, you know, in that second game, <laughs> we saw Barkin Road start with Monsevayas and with uh, Solis up there. Evangelista, I think Eileen Aviles started as well. Um, I've always kind of wondered. You have all these offensive weapons. You have all of these <laughs> players up there. How I was actually make- just giving them like you know, the pass or something is actually well, creating those plays as well. Well, it's like, how do you, how do you get everybody onto the pitch and get the minutes? And they, I guess they fit, you know, they figured it out, um, you know, and uh, good on them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they can really, uh, they can really look back at this uh, series 
and they learned a lot of lessons from it. Hopefully they learned a lot of lessons from it and that oh, should yeah. serve them well. Any, uh, any final thoughts on this series or any of the other series that, that we, uh, that we talked about? I actually forgot. I was going to count up how many goals this year they had scored just because you got a couple now. Um, just because I, I also know that she's, the competition has gotten closer ever since, since she left Rayadas for a while to go to, to Scotland. But, um, I think I mean, it's it, like it was, 120. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, something like that. I was just remembering that because again, Allison just reached 100. So, I mean, it's not that she's going to score 20 goals next season, but she, there are other players that are kind of catching up. So that's going to be pretty intense next season as well. Yeah, but, for sure. Um, really, really happy to see her score. Um, she only got one goal during the regular season. Now she got a couple. So it's like, like you know, record breaking. This is is back, and she's in good form. And hopefully, we'll see some other goals in, in the semifinals. But yeah, I mean, um, I'm pretty sure Rayadas also, it was, it was like a reality check, right? And mm-hmm. Just understanding that there are teams that are capable of putting them in a really tough position and taking advantage of their home games. So um, hopefully Rayadas will learn from that. They do have a really difficult uh, challenge against Pachuca for semifinals, but they also have the advantage of of having a second leg at home. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll see. But definitely, I think it did shake up Rayadas a bit, so. Yeah, we will see how they do in the next round, and we will talk about the next upcoming round right after this. So the upcoming Ligia semifinal is going to see Club America and Tigres and Pachuca and Monterrey. Which one of these do you think is going to be the uh, the better series? I'd like to say Pachuca um, against Monterrey. I think just seeing... Um, Pachuca understanding how strong they were in quarterfinals, maybe taking advantage of what they saw were the weakest points from Rayadas, also against Cholos. So, and just, I mean, both teams have just amazing offense. So it'll be interesting to see how they actually try to take advantage of their defense just to make a difference because I think both of their offenses are right up there. I mean, right next to each other, I, it would be really difficult to think that one is better than the other just because of how well they've done throughout the season. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think that Pachuca obviously should have the momentum coming in. I mean, they they beat Chivas, Riadas. You know, we were just talking about how they how they might have learned some lessons from the last series, but I think they were a little shaky. So they may kind of come out feeling like they need uh, to prove something. So we'll see. We'll see. I think I think that's really going to be an interesting matchup. Pachuca's offense just scares me. Like, I, and uh, Rada's, <laughs> Rada's defense is really good, but man, that offense is just crazy, crazy good. So, yeah, I, I think I think it's probably going to be the most entertaining match as well. Not that the, not, I mean, not that Diaz America is a bad match either. It's just I think we're going to see just so many shots on goal from Pachuca Rayadas. It's going to be more of a let's see who's I don't know who who attacks better, mm. and then Tigres America. I can see them kind of balancing out the entire squad like it's not necessarily the, the offense that's going to be just taking like a star role in, in the game i think it's for both teams it's going to be more more strategic i think yeah for sure i th- i think america and tigres both also need to kind of come into this one feeling like they have something to prove um mm-hmm. you know america beat juarez eight to two yeah there was some there was some kind of nervy moments there but 
eight to two win uh, on aggregate is, I don't know, to me, that says, you know, like, we, we kind of walked over them, you know, and Tigres kind of did the same thing to Atlas. This is really going to be the first time where they're going to face uh, face some adversity in yeah. this. And it's going to be real interesting to see who kind of uh, can withstand getting scored on, uh, you know, can somebody go down in this one and, and come back? You know, because mm-hmm. neither of these teams trailed at any point during the first series. So it will be really interesting to see how, when somebody finally goes down a goal, how they react. You know, yeah. so I, I kind of agree. I think Pachuca Monterrey is going to be more of a run and gun, shoot them out kind of uh, high yeah. scoring. The aggregate, maybe something crazy like a nine to eight or something like who knows just with, <laughs> with how good those teams are. I think America Tigres could be a little bit more. Um, a little bit closer to like, I guess what we consider normal, like a, you know, a five to four, six to five kind of aggregate score, just because I think they really respect one another and recognize that they are much tougher opponents than the ones that they faced in the last round. So I think they're going to be a little bit more cautious going into it. And I don't think they're just going to kind of come out swinging. Like I think Pachuca and Riata's kind of, they, they, they know what the assignment is, you know, <laughs> they, they, they know that yeah. they're going to have to just go out there and score as many as possible. And Hope that at the end of it, they've got enough. But I think it's much different for those two. I don't know. Like it's, it, I think they're both really good series, uh, potentially. And I think they're both really going to give us something different, which is which is really cool, right? Yeah, I, I think that's why the Pachuca Rayadas semifinal is going to be. It might be decided on who has better defense. Amazingly enough, because we know how strong both off both of their uh, attacks are. So just knowing which one can actually adjust and make sure that the other one isn't as strong is probably going to be as important as making sure you get those goals scored. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's absolutely fair. You know, ah, uh, I don't, I don't really want to get into the predictions game. Uh, if you, if you feel, <laughs> let's if you, not. <laughs> I was gonna say, if you feel the absolute need, by by all means. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy as, as a, as a neutral to really see how both of these series play out. I think they're both going to be <laughs> sit, fun. Sit back, relax. Our teams are not in here, so we, we can just enjoy. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said last week, you know, it's one of the benefits of not having your team in this. You just get to sit back and watch everybody else get all nervous and bent out of shape. Yeah, you know? I've got enough things giving me gray hairs. This is uh, going to be one of them. Yeah, no, I think- so but, I mean, both games are on, are on Fridays and then they play the second leg on Monday. So kind of late. I kind of suffer when, when I know the game is really late for you, Eugene. But I, yeah, I mean, first game on Friday is America Tigres, which will be at 9 p.m. Eastern. And then Pachuca Rayas will be at 11 p.m. Eastern. Mm-hmm. Again, people, we are so sorry we didn't switch time <laughs> zones. I mean, we didn't switch daylight savings this year. Trust me, everyone really thinks this was a terrible idea. And then same thing on Monday, Tigres America at 9 p.m. Eastern and then Monterrey Pachuca at 11 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, and that's going to be doubly tough because Monday is a holiday here in, in the oh, U.S., yeah. which yeah, means, it is. I don't know about everybody else, but my sleep schedule will be thrown off enough as it is, and then I've <laughs> got to wake up on Tuesday to like get the kids ready and go to work, and ooh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a fun one. Um, they always yeah. are, but uh, whatever, it's it's worth it. I'm excited. I'm excited for it. I'm excited to uh, to suffer for for my art, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to both of these. Like I said, I think they're going to be yeah. both really good matches, and yeah, looking forward to uh, who's going to be the the final. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. We're almost, we're almost the final. Like, we're at the point where we're actually talking about the final. 
I know. It seems as though so much has happened, though. But yeah, it's it's, I yeah, only a week away. I guess a week and a half. Oh my goodness. Oh <laughs> my goodness. Okay. Any final thoughts on that? If if anybody dares, um, just venture a guess of how like, how these games are going to end up. Um, yeah, please let us know on social media. We'll enjoy seeing if everyone if anyone's right. Uh, but definitely just enjoying whatever goes on during the games. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, hit us up on Twitter if you have predictions for this one. Uh, we'd love to hear them. Uh, I'm not going to make one, but I'd love to hear what you have to say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, we'll just sit back again, relax, enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, looking forward to coming back to this one next week and seeing how and breaking this all down, seeing how they did. So the the CONCACAF U20 Women's Tournament, it's just starting. It's starting tomorrow, and this is going to um, give up uh, tickets to the U20 World Cup. Due to the pandemic, we, we skipped several years and several competitions, and then there's like a generation of players that actually didn't get to play, I think it was like either the U17 or the U20, and had to just like go up to the, the, next, um, mm. the next category just because they, they couldn't make it because of age. Um, for one particular tournament, so it, it was. It's it's still a mess because of everything. Uh, sadly, the pandemic had to change. So this is the same World Cup that we had last uh, last summer that Ana Galindo had to come in take over Maribel Dominguez's team, mm. um, and now they're qualifying for the next World Cup because um, I mean it, it's it's kind of weird though because we've had World Cups all over. We just had the men's. We were going to have the women's in a month, but now we're qualifying for the next U20 tournament. So this is more of a squad that Ana Galindo has actually had the chance to play, I mean, to train with. Hopefully we'll see better results. Hopefully we'll start seeing a bit more continuity because again, we've had so many changes in women's national teams. I mean, mm. obviously everything since Leo Cuellar, then with his son Christopher, Monica coming in. Obviously we know what happened last summer, not making it to the World Cup, having her leave that position. And then Maribel also leaving her position with U20s. Ana Galindo, who, who was with the U17s, had to step up to the U20s. So it's what I regret the most is not only the fact, not only the results that we've gotten, but also the fact that all these changes to the stuff, just results and and, and situations that have gone, gone on with some of they they kind of cut the cut the process of coaches as well because again you had Ana Galindo coming in U17 getting that entire generation to work with and then having to step up to the U20s so you stepped up stepped up to a team that you didn't really know uh, you didn't really work with but someone had to do it and mm -hmm. then taking over again with with that U20 team, despite the fact that she couldn't really finish off what, what she was starting with the U17. Uh, yes, some of these players could come up to the U20s anyway, but again, it's it's just the fact that we haven't been able to have like a complete process with all these levels. I mean, we didn't have one with with Maribel, we didn't have one with with Monica, it, and, and that's what I regret the most. It's just how much time we've been, we've been wasting trying to make sure we have an actual complete process. Disregarding the results, hopefully there'll be good ones, but that just understanding that even if you have a bad result, whoever comes in, who usually is the coach in the younger, like one division below, might not be fit yet to actually take over a more senior squad. So, yeah, it's, it's I mean, we're still trying to work, make this work, but definitely, hopefully we'll have a better result with this squad than we had, than we've had the entire 2022 with every single Mexican squad. <laughs> they, all of them were terrible last year. Yeah, you know, I agree. I think what I'm most concerned about isn't really wins or losses, but just the continuity of the project. You know, for me, I've always kind of thought that the 20s, the U17s and, and on down were really more about preparation for the senior national team, right? Yeah. And 
yeah, you know, winning is great and and that looks good, but you know, if they if it means more to the players, if they learn more by losing, then like that's fine, you know. Um I'm I'm okay with that. And I think you can only be okay with that sort of give and take if you have a consistent project and we haven't you're right, we haven't had that with this with the national team in in forever. So I'm I'm hopeful that now that hopefully the dust has settled. Things are kind of calming down, uh, you know, especially with all of the pandemic stuff kind of working its way out. I think mm-hmm. this should probably be the last one where they have to kind of accommodate players who had to like skip a year or had tournaments that that were condensed or something like that because of because of not being able to play in in 2020. You know, this should kind of be a last cycle for for a lot of that stuff. I mean, yeah, of course, you'll, you know, we'll be feeling the ripple effects of that on on many levels for for a long time. But, you know, for the most part, I think a lot of that is should be over with now or, you know, definitely after this uh, tournament. And it's the continuity. It's, um, you know, what what are they what are they going to do? And are they going to be okay with doing that, uh, you know, whether they win or lose uh, next year? You know, regardless yeah. of how they finish, are they going to be okay with having the same people? You know, maybe maybe there's a couple, you know, who leave or go into other things. But, you know, for the most part, you want that continuity. You want those pretty much the same coaches, the same, you know, staff there to to make sure that everybody kind of gets the same experience coming through. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I thought we were on, on the right track after everything that changed last yeah. year. Well, I mean, a, a couple of months, months before last year, just because it seemed as though the system was just took the right decisions and made sure that everyone had a process to follow. I mean, no one could have even dreamed that we were going to have such a terrible World Cup qualifier, Not especially playing in Mexico, right? Playing mm-hmm. all, all the games in Monterrey. And now looking at that scenario this year, it's just like you can't believe that six CONCACAF teams are making it to the 2023 World Cup and Mexico is not one of them. Yeah. Understanding that you lost that, that U20 continuity because Maribel Dominguez was fired from her position because of things that happened within the team, um, some situations with some players. And again, so it's it's like starting off again. I think I, I, I'm liking what Pedro Lopez is doing. I, I still believe we need to see him in a more competitive tournament, which we'll probably see next semester with Gold Cup qualifiers. But it seems as though, again, okay, whatever decisions we're taking at this moment, they seem to be in the right place, right? Because especially look, after looking at last last year's U20 World Cup where Ana Galindo took over, they lost in quarterfinals. Again, this is a World Cup where only 16 teams participate. And I think it's actually going up to 24 for next for the next tournament. Mm-hmm. But uh, 16 teams, you make it through to quarterfinals, you lose against Spain, who end up winning the tournament with Pedro Lopez. Then you bring in Pedro Lopez <laughs> for your senior <laughs> squad. So, I mean, you're paying attention to what's going on, definitely. And again, just the fact that you lost 1-0 against a team that ended up winning the entire tournament. And I do remember Pedro Lopez speaking quite highly of, of the Mexicans in that tournament. So it was it was still long before we actually hired him. So it seems as though if we get some continuity, we might be on track again to make sure that all this all these processes are actually finished and we start seeing players evolve from U17, U20 to the senior squad. Hopefully, make it a lot, just have a more successful cycle with all of these teams. I, I was trying to look at into who's actually hosting the tournament for the U20s next year. I'm not actually I'm not finding it, but last year's was in Costa Rica. So again, that was the one that I, I was looking at the years. And that was that's the one that got skipped for an entire cycle. Costa Rica was actually Costa Rica and Panama 2020. They canceled that entire tournament and it came up to Costa Rica 2022. So you had four years 
without a U20 World Cup, which wouldn't seem as problematic because we, that's usually what goes on with the senior uh, World Cups. But for a youth system where you're bringing in players and you do have more more age restrictions, definitely losing a couple of years was was key for some of these players. And hopefully somehow we'll make it back with them at another level. Yeah, this uh, this year's tournament will be held in the uh, Dominican Republic. So uh, Mexico will be in Group B with uh, Costa Rica, Puerto Rico, and the hosts, uh, Dominican Republic. Uh, all four of those teams are, are really you know, really kind of up and coming. The projects that they've got going on in, in all three other um, nations are, are really kind of exciting. You know, the Dominican Republic has been kind of on the come up for, for years. Costa Rica has always been kind of good. And Puerto Rico has, you know, really recently done a lot of things right to get uh, kind of like we were talking uh, last last week about being able to recruit players who could, you know, play for both Puerto Rico and the United States and getting uh, them to give serious consideration to joining so um, it's not going to be easy, uh, you know, It's and it's good to see it. This is, this is a good problem to have. It means that our confederation is strong. It means that, you know, at least on the, the U-20s level, uh, that, you know, there, there are no easy, uh, you know, especially at this, at this level, that there's just no easy, uh, there's no easy team. There's no, nobody made it in and, um, you know, should go, you know, 0 and 3 and, you know, with a, you know, minus 30 goal differential or something, you know, this, these, these should all be yeah. pretty competitive games. <laughs> I, I realized fully that I said something like that last time. And then we wound up uh, watching, you know, utter destruction of, of a team. So, um, <laughs> take... Still, I mean, it's, it's what we should expect, right? At least yeah. um, sort of those differences not to be um, as large as they have been at some point, just make sure yeah. they're, they're diminishing. They're trying to catch up with some of the other teams, make sure that it is as competitive as can. Yeah. And, you know, I think for, for me, it just kind of goes back to what I said earlier on. It's not so much about the result. I mean, yes, wins are great and uh, everybody loves winning and everybody loves uh, getting trophies and medals. But, um, you know, did they play well? Are we seeing individual players play well and do their, you know, do a job well? Uh, because ultimately I'm okay with this team not uh, not doing well if it means that the players are, are learning and playing positions well and then go on to the senior team and and can really put it all together there. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, agreed. Um, so hopefully, I mean, Mexico plays their, their first game tomorrow against uh, the Dominican Republic. I mean, it'll be great to see some of these players. Some of them are not all of them are Liga MX Feminine players. We do have some players from abroad, mostly the U.S. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we'll start seeing a bit more of a system, understand which players could make it to next year's World Cup because of age restrictions. I actually Googled it really quickly. I think they haven't decided where the next U20 World Cup is going to be. So we'll look forward to that as well. And yeah, and then start seeing if, if maybe even some of these players make it to, to the Gold Cup qualifiers next semester, maybe take be, be taken into consideration by Pedro Lopez. Um, we've talked about how despite just, well, not despite the fact, but just because of the fact that we're not in this World Cup and we still have a long way to go to, for the next one, um, which, by the way, Mexico and the U.S. are actually looking forward to competing for that host for that host selection in 2027. Some of the players that Pedro Lopez has currently might not make it to that World Cup. I mean, they could still be active, but you have to start thinking about bringing in some younger players and making sure that we don't have a team that is, yeah, full of experience, but maybe not performance-wise, maybe not at their peak anymore. So 
Yeah, yep. it, it would be interesting to start seeing how the U20 with Ana Galindo and the senior squad with Pedro Lopez start w- working together to make sure you have competitive teams for the following tournament, disregarding the fact that, yeah, it's still a long way off. I mean, the next thing is qualifiers, and then we have Gold Cup, the actual Gold Cup for semester of next year. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, you know, these these tournaments are always fun to watch and to learn about some of the players. You know, I think a little bit less of that now since a lot of them do play professionally in Liga Mekis Femenil, but, you know, there are some who play in the American college uh, system that you may uh, not get to see all that often, you know, uh, for, for Mexico at least. And then, you know, for, for other nations, uh, there's a lot of uh, college representation um, and then some who play professionally in, in other countries, you know, so it's good to kind of see where these teams are. And uh, the players that are coming up, because, you know, a lot of them we could be talking about uh, in the next World Cup cycle, like you said, you know. Um, Yeah. You know, so it'll be really interesting. You know, Mexico, like you said, they started off on on this Thursday. I don't know when, you you know, our listeners will be going to get into this, but uh, Thursday, (laughs) uh, May 25th is the the first game um, against the host Dominican Republic. Uh, Then they play against uh, Puerto Rico on the 27th and then finish up against uh, Costa Rica on the 29th. Yeah, uh, no easy no easy outs on that one. <laughs> so yeah. It'll be it'll be really interesting to see how they how they fare. Uh, and then over in group A, we've got Panama, Jamaica, Canada and our rivals to the north, the United States. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tough tough <laughs> yeah no no easy outs there any any four of those teams on a, on a good day can beat any of the others um you know i think you got to look at the the u.s and canada kind of as the, as the favorites but uh jamaica and panama are, are they're there on merit they're not there just to kind of fill out the group they're they are there on merit merit and um i would i wouldn't take them lightly yeah, I mean, and just look looking forward again to how the U20 tournament, the, the actual World Cup is expanding with with more teams. You obviously want to make sure that you're going to have more, more tickets available, right? That's, that's hopefully what will happen for the women's side as well. For the men's mm-hmm. side, it's just the fact that it might be easier to qualify, but that also brings in more responsibility because you're going to be facing more teams during the World Cup. You have to prepare differently. And also, you don't want to be overconfident just because of the fact that getting a ticket to the following World Cup might just be a, a little bit easier. Um, you obviously want to make sure you have the right preparation. You want to make sure that you have the right players. And hopefully, hopefully this time we'll start seeing a complete process again, like we were talking about. So, um, yeah, yeah let, let, let's see how that starts and um, looking into for, for next next year's 2020, I mean, 20 U20 World Cup. Yeah, it should be it should be a good one. Yeah, the other uh, big news was, uh, from this past week was uh, there was a lot of changes at the FMF. I feel like everybody got a new job there. I I was not one of the lucky few. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think you were either, Adriana. But did get some uh, some some new uh, new folks coming in and some uh, some new changes. Oh yeah, it was it was a busy one. Well, first of all, we got a new federation president, Juan Carlos Rodriguez, taking over the position that was left by John De Luisa. We knew John Luisa was leaving um, a few weeks ago. He still he announced he was leaving at the end of his term, and Juan Carlos Rodriguez is taking over as president. Uh, less than 24 hours later, first changes came in. Uh, Duilo Davino coming in to take over the role of national team director for the men's side, the position that we currently have, Andrea Rodebo, on the women's side. And also Andres Lilini, who was coach for Necaxa uh, last we saw in Liga Max and, and also previously in Pumas, 
taking over the youth teams on the on the federation. So we got those first changes, and then uh, we got some several changes for the actual league uh, for next season. No relegation yet. That just stayed. I think that was one of the bigger things we were expecting might change. Still just going with what they mentioned earlier. It's still kind of like a four to five year period that they're just going to wait for as many expansion or, or second division teams to have certificates necessary to actually be eligible to actually be promoted to Liga MX just because it seems as though they're not seeing enough stability from those clubs to actually make it yeah, worthwhile for them to be able to be promoted. Pretty unfair for many people. Yeah, we do understand this is a business in the end, but obviously we want to see more clubs make it to Liga, to Liga MX as well. And we understand how much more competitive it could be if some of these teams were actually on the just fa- facing the possibility of relegation, right? Another big change, we're coming down a one form player per game. So currently we could have 10, actually they don't, they don't mention foreign players because um, so many do have Mexican citizenship now. It's more 10 players that were not created or born footballistically, I guess, is how, if I just made up that word. But yeah, like players that were actually created <laughs> within the Mexican soccer system before the age of 18. Those players, which are usually foreigners, we could have 10 per squad and then eight on the field at any given point that came down one player each for each circumstance you cannot the teams will now only be able to have nine foreign players seven of them on the field so hopefully that'll bring a bit more level to the national team as well just understanding that more teams will be obligated to have more mexican players in their in their starting lineups for the expansion which is mexican second division as well they're going to combine that this was this this is this might take some some looking into so Mexican League has Liga Max, obviously. You have Expansión, which is second division. And then you have the youth level teams, right? You have the U20s, you have the U18s, previously U17s. Um, and then you have some younger divisions. But professionally, we have those. What they did was they eliminated the U20 division, and they're going to combine the Expansión, which is second division, with a U23 squad that now each club is going to be obligated to have. So... Apparently, this is to, I mean, I, I thought of it always as a ladder, right? You have like several steps. You have the U18, you go up to U20. Something always kind of seemed amiss between the U20 and the senior squad. It seemed as though players that came in like 22, 23 years old were having a really tough time competing at, at a senior level. So it seemed as though we kind of needed like a U23 tournament. And now we do. Um, they're going to compete against, so you're going to have like all 18 Liga MX clubs. They're going to have a U23 team face off against the 15 teams in Expansión. But now without the U20 league, it seems as though now we're missing that step because now you're going to have the U18s compete when like a year later with players that are way more experienced than them within the Expansión. They're older than them as well. So it, it just seems as though the problem that we had with, with Liga MX players coming in really early and not really being up to par, I just think that's, that's going to happen now with the, with the Expansión U23 league that they're going to create. It just seems as though players that you, you're going to have 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds face off against Expansión players who are way more experienced or way older as well because mm-hmm. um, there's no age restriction there. So I, it just seemed as though it was, yeah, I, I would have I would have loved for them to actually keep the U20 plus add the U23, mm-hmm. understanding that could be a burden for some of the clubs just because you have another squad entirely. But still, I thought that was probably the better way to go. I'm trying to remember what else, what else was announced. It was just, I mean, weird changes. We were all expecting, again, oh, yeah, wait, repechaje. Wait, that was a big one. Repechaje, yeah. Uh, 
Okay, so repechaje, apparently, what they wanted to tell us is we can't say repechaje anymore because it's not repechaje. Uh -huh. um, now we have the play-in, and that's literally what they're saying in Spanish. It's the play-in. So what will happen is rather than have the first four teams in the standings qualify directly to quarterfinals, you're going to have the first 16. And then the last two spots are going to be decided between 7th versus 8th and then 9th versus 10th. The winner of the 9th versus 10th game is going to play the loser of the 7th versus 8th. And then those two teams are going to make it to, to quarterfinals. So it's just kind of like a repechaje, but it's not as bad as the repechaje was because <laughs> repechaje just allowed a team that qualified 12 out of 18 teams to potentially be a Liga MX champion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so now it's you're giving like more rewards, I guess, to the teams that qualify best, but still you're, you're just giving a couple of tickets away to teams that, uh, I mean, you could, you could now still have like a team that qualified 10th after regular season, potentially make it as Liga MX champion. So it came down a couple spots. They applauded everything because they, they were like, oh, this happens in the NBA. And what, who are we to judge something that the NBA does so well? <laughs> so, yeah, that's what those two last quarterfinal teams are coming in. So we'll see. Uh, I understand, it's, it's again, it's a business. We are going to get probably an extra week of games just because now this has to happen. Uh, so we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with that new play-in former repechaje next year. Yeah. Oh man, there, there was there was so much so much to unpack from that meeting. You know, I, I'm not a huge fan of the the changes to the repechaje. I, I I agree that something needed to be done. Yeah, I don't know sure if that was. I'm pretty I don't sure know if this was it though. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I I know they I know they uh they are are doing what the NBA does, but I don't know if that's necessarily the way that you want to go. Mm. You know, the NBA has a lot more than 18 teams. So yeah, just I don't I don't know. I feel like as much as everybody disliked the repechaje and it needed a change, I'm not sure this was the change that needed to happen. Uh, but we'll yeah. see. We'll see it in practice this coming tournament. And you know, if it doesn't work out, if it just turns out to be a bust, um, <laughs> hopefully they'll we'll, hopefully we'll have another it. meeting next year, and then those changes will come in. So yeah, I mean, they you know. Uh, it's is it great? No, but they they can always <laughs> uh they can always change their minds and change it back. Um, yeah. you know I don't know. Just me being me, I would I would just go back to the the kind of top eight teams. Yeah. That's to to me that that's uh that's the best way to go about it. Yeah, I mean I I real the only thing is I mean I understand again this is a business and some decisions might be based more on that rather than actually creating a more competitive league or just having understanding how what the national team but i mean when, whenever they talk about how this new u23 slash expansion league is going to work and how it's going to help create younger players i mean we, there was this some analysis coming in this week they're like wait didn't the united states have like an age average from the world cup that they were like 24 year olds and we're thinking that u23s are still players that are in like in development we have an entire league for them now because we think they're not they're not competing just well enough. How's like like it, it's it just doesn't yeah. make sense, right? Yeah. Um, and then like just looking back at, at other decisions that have been taken, I mean, these are the same people that thought that helping younger players was a, something was going to happen once you took away the U twenty uh, minute rule, right, from <laughs> these teams as well. 
So it was kind of like, um, I mean, <laughs> I understand some of these decisions, but definitely we're, we're still off when it comes to actual player development. It doesn't yeah. seem as though eliminating an entire U20 division when we actually have a World Cup for that particular age group might be the best way to go, right? I mean, exactly. maybe, yeah, maybe like in a couple of months we'll, we'll regret it and just be like, oh my God, this actually this is actually working. We're seeing better level. But it it just seems as though we might start missing out on that U20 experience for that age group because we're making them compete against 20-something-year-olds who have been playing Expansion for years, who are coming in mm -hmm. from other countries. And again, same people made this decision are the ones that actually thought eliminating a U20-minute rule for Liga MX was somehow helping these players and helping clubs bring in younger players as well. So uh, we'll see. Hopefully... Yeah. We won't be talking about this in a year and saying like, oh, this this was a bust. <laughs> <laughs> I get the feeling we will though. I'm I'm with you. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm really not a fan of this. I think the U20s was far too important to kind of give up on and and make it a U23. I feel like there definitely needed to be something between U20s and first team because there was a giant gap there. But I feel like that's where the expansion teams really could have kind of helped out where you could, you know, loosen up some of the rules around player loans and that kind of stuff, you know, and you could loan players there to play with, you know, veterans and guys that are trying, uh, you know, to hold on to that dream of playing for, for top flight uh, and have them go down there kind of like, you know, the minor leagues uh, in baseball here in, in the U S and, and go there and, and, get minutes and and play and develop but in a more like structured environment um that yeah. they could then be returned to their team after you know uh, a season or a year or something like that um i i don't think getting rid of the u20s like you said when there is a u20 world cup and and all that kind of stuff i don't think that's the answer uh we no you know, we'll see. I, I, I kind of like the, the rule about, uh, you know, getting rid of one of the, the NFM spots, like, uh, the, the foreign born player, like you said, I think that's a good idea. Um, I think that will help open up. Yeah. I, th I think it was, that was actually necessary. Yeah. It'll help open um, up yeah. slots for Mexican players. We'll see about that. Yeah. Well, we'll hopefully we'll see good results, but yeah, definitely just looking at everything that was announced. It was like, uh, the repechaje, well, it's a play, it still is a little repechaje. It's, it's still, it is what it is. Um, changing the name doesn't really change that much. Yeah, so I, I agree. I think with the U20s, there's got to be a better way, but I don't know if this is the way. I'm trying to think about some of the stuff that they've tried here in the U.S. that really didn't work out. They had like a reserves division for MLS for a mm -hmm. while where you would see like bench players and, and some of like the youth players. Um, and it's, this was going back to like 2010, 2011 didn't really work out. They then tried having like affiliate clubs where like a minor league team, um, yeah. that kind of didn't work out. So now it's every, now that everybody has like a youth team, there is like a, a, second division there's there's usl and they've got all sorts of different levels of of play but i think you know nobody's really found the magic formula as far as getting filling in that gap that everybody can kind of agree exists between youth teams be it like u17s u20s or what they have here in the u.s and 
a top flight team. So uh, I'll be interested to see if this works Uh, and if it doesn't work and I'm not quite sure it will, but you know, what lessons can we then take away from it? It kind of goes back to, I'm okay if something doesn't work, but uh, you know, what, what can you learn from it and and what can you do to try and make the next thing better? It doesn't repeat a lot of the same mistakes that, that you just made. Yeah, agreed. I mean, that's probably the decision that worries me the most is what's going to happen. I mean, players right now finishing off U18 with still like a year ago or two years ago were U17s. We had U17, U20, and then senior senior level. Uh, now you have U18, U20, uh, and senior. Well, now we're going to have the U23 senior level and then senior level. It just seems as though, yeah, they're probably going to need one more step in that like age group. Players that are turning 19 are just going to come up from facing other 18-year-olds, and now they're going to face, yeah, other teams with with 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, but you're also going to start facing expansion teams who have 27-year-olds, 28-year-olds, mm-hmm. who have players from abroad. So it's it definitely is going to be a bit more difficult. They were talking about how it it will also help the expansion teams because you'll have something like Atlante facing America U23 squad. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't see some it's kind of being interesting. Um, they were also talking about the fact that it it'll be a league with either 33 or 36 teams. And I'll mention it in a bit just why. So they're going to have two groups. They're going to have like a, some kind of draw. And then uh, that's how you, that's going to uh, happen. The reason why it might be 36 teams or 33 teams is because we do have three clubs who actually have a U23 um, system. I mean, a U23 team. So they were playing with the expansion, which were Tapatio from Chivas. You had Pumas Tabasco for Pumas. And then you had Rayados. <laughs> Um, I was love from that. Monterrey. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love the Rayados <laughs> with, with playing with the two. So then those teams, those clubs will actually have to decide if they want to keep those teams and have a U23 squad, which I can't imagine they will, honestly. No. Um, yeah, they're just, I mean, Rayados actually announced yesterday after all this came through that they were not going to ha- keep on with the Rayados project. They were just going to have their U23 squad. Oh, that's a shame. Um, yeah. I, I hope I, they I keep that name they, around. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah, that definitely would be a good way. Yeah, I, I, I like the Rayados as well. <laughs> it was it was a good good idea. So, yeah, I mean, if they wanted to go through, you could have technically a Tapatio from Chivas as well as a, a Chivas U23. I don't see any, like Pumas or Chivas doing that and just keeping both teams. They're probably just going to go with one. And then we're just going to have, again, all 18 U23 squads play against all 15 Expansion teams. So we'll see how that how that goes. I do remember, for instance, it was such a small thing, but it seemed important now, just understanding everything that's been happening ever since with all these changes. For instance, I remember previously, if you went to Liga MX game, which wasn't even called Liga MX at that moment, it was just like, you know, the Mexican League or whatever. If you went to, for instance, like an America Pumas match and you got to the stadium early, you would see the U20s play. They would Mm -hmm. play a couple hours, three hours before the, the senior team. So it was actually a, a good way for them to actually get used to playing at the stadium. Some fans would probably see yeah second half if they got to the stadium kind of early. And that just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, they sometimes might play at the stadium, but they mostly don't anymore. They usually just end up playing at training facilities. So even that, like as small as a, of a thing as it was, just playing at the stadium and again, like in front of yeah, a couple hundred people or something, I think was such a big deal for the U20s. Now they don't even have that. So. I know it's sometimes it's like the the, the easiest and more like the simplest things that end up being important. So hopefully we'll start seeing again, more, um, more attention to these squads. Maybe that's something that will happen just because you'll have again, Atlanta versus America U23. 
maybe that'll get more attention from people. Maybe you'll get big, bigger crowds at the stadiums. Maybe that'll help both of the teams with, with ticket sales as well. So uh, we'll see. We'll definitely see next semester. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely have to come back and take a look at it, you know, after a year or maybe after the first, uh, the first tournament, just to kind of see how it's working. Mm-hmm. I really hope they don't do this for the women. <laughs> I'm not gonna oh, lie. No, no, no. I'm not gonna no, lie. I like I hope they keep this over on the Veteranil side. Yeah. Let the women's side kind of grow as it is. It seems like it's doing okay. Definitely. Like, yes, of course, there could still be more things brought into the women's side for for youth development, but I'm okay with keeping this sort of the sort of thing on the Veteranil side. Yeah, but, let's just let them experiment and we'll yeah. Yeah. Let, let the women do their thing. <laughs> yeah, let the let the boys figure it out and when they get it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when they get it all, you know, when they get the formula down pat, then uh, we'll we'll see about having the women adopt it. Let the let the guys be the guinea pigs for it for, for once. Um, yeah, definitely. But we'll see. You know, we'll definitely come back in, in six months and a year and have uh, have some opinions on how it went, I'm sure. Uh, but <laughs> in the meantime, we do have a Legia coming up this uh, this coming week. So please uh, keep in contact with us. Let us know. How you think that's going to go? Let us uh, know your opinions on any of the topics that we talked about or didn't talk about, and uh, you know, just keep up with the content. Keep up with the hashtag Liga MX F E M E N G, because at the end of the day, this is our football. Thank you all so very much, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>